Father, we thank you for another opportunity to stand in this designated place to worship you in preaching the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. We know that this Word, O oh Lord, contains answers to life's greatest questions. We know that this Word, O oh Lord, gives solace to our souls that are hurting. This Word gives thirst and gives hunger for righteousness. This Word is a guiding light that helps us navigate through the times of our life. Help us today, O oh Lord, to glean from its words and its pages a message that will help us to be better servants and better worshipers. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We've been talking about for the last two Sundays about the imagery of temple worship and tabernacle worship as it relates to the presence of God. We know that the ark is the visible symbol of God's presence. It contained three things, Aaron's rod that budded, it contained the, a, a pot of manna, and it contained the broken law of God. God was very, very particular about that ark of the covenant, insomuch that he said, I don't want anybody to remove the covering because as long as the covering stays intact, I don't see the sin. Wow. So God is most blessed and most praised when we deal with our sin and cover our sin with the blood of Jesus, which is the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the New Testament. And with all of that cleansing, there, there goes also this anointing. God will never use an unclean vessel. God will never put His Spirit within a filthy pot. God will never, ever put righteousness at stake and condescend to a place that He needs such to worship Him. He'll never do that. Never has and He never will. So we're commanded in God's Word to be holy because the God of our covenant is a holy God. The Bible tells us to be without blame and to be spotless, for the Father is pleased with such worship and such behavior. So it's right and it's proper that we should be admonished from time to time to keep the standard up, to not let the standard diminish or go down. But the truth is, over the years, church doesn't look much like it used to, and I don't know what it will look like uh, in the future. But compared to the New Testament church, the church of this what we call postmodern era is very dissimilar to what these churches were in the New Testament. Now, they had their problems, yes. In fact, the Corinthian church was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. Paul said to them, it is commonly reported there's fornication among you. And he said there is even one person that has taken his father's wife. Well, that's incest, isn't it? You don't know anything about that? It is incest. And the penalty for that in the sight of God is, is awful. 
But God said for the people at Corinth, he said, deal with that. Don't, don't retreat from that. Deal with that. Cast out that kind of stuff from you that he may be converted when he realizes the urgency and the importance of what he has done. You see, God can deal with sin as long as it's confessed and as long as it's brought out uh, into the open. God can help deal with it, but as long as it's secluded and it's hidden and God can't forgive that sin because it's unaddressed. You've got to get to a place with God where you're transparent with Him and you allow God to see you as you really are. We've talked about the presence of God and the, the power of God and the glory of God. All of these are relative terms that just simply are categorized the presence of God. If you want to have the presence, then you've got to meet those criteria that God puts in His Word for uh, having the presence. And there's nothing God wants more than to come down in presence and glory and power. There is nothing God desires more than to fill our cup until running over, to give us wonderful experiences in His presence. And that's really what serving Him is all about, is to spend the time in His presence. First Thessalonians, there was, do you know what Thessalonians, the, it's a church in Greece, and the Thessalonians were very special people because they, the Bible said there were people there that were of the baser sort. And remember that, Don? That they were people that did not have a fondness for the Word of God and uh, they actually despised the, the preaching of God's Word. Now, how in the world can, can you call yourself a church and despise preaching? I don't know. But at any rate, they had this problem. And Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7 and 8, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Holiness then has to do with personal purity. Holiness then has to do with a standard that God has set for His people that's called holy living. Our conversation is to be holy conversation. Our workplace is to be uh, handle in a, in a holy kind of a way. But holiness is not some list of do's and don'ts that produce cookie-cutter types. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is God's standard of living for His people. Amen. But that's a little bit vague because that leaves someone else to define then what is the standard. Actually, the word comes from the word moderate, Modest apparel, moderate. Moderate is in between. It's not too hot and it's not too cold. It's not too flashy and it's not too dull. Get the picture? It's moderate means pleasant. It means something in between, not extreme either way. Boy, that's a good definition, isn't it? In other words, God doesn't want you to carry that to extreme and worship that as a, a God, as it were. Amen. Not to have some list of do's and don'ts, and if you do the do's and don'ts, then uh, you're, you're all right with God, but if you don't do the do's and don'ts, you're worldly. And if you're worldly, you can't have the presence of God. And if you're worldly, you can't have the Holy Ghost. And if you're worldly, you can't da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The truth is God wants us to be 
moderate and God wants us to not be extreme on either way. Now, I respect people's convictions and that's what you've got to work out. Not mine, but yours. And you can have convictions that are much stricter than mine. And I have no right to find fault with that. That's okay. You, what you feel convicted about, you live by your convictions. Amen. But at the same time, I, I don't want you to say everybody's got to be like me. Because that's going to the extreme. Amen. Every man must work out his with fear and trembling. So every man has the responsibility to work it out. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, there's some mathematical problem involved. To work it out means to finish to completion. It means get to a place where you're at peace with God about it. Get to a place where you, you know that you know and you know her that God is all right with you and how you feel about those certain things. Amen. One of the most godly women I ever knew in my whole life I went to her house one day and, and because I'm very well acquainted with them. And she said, Brother Jerry, would you, would you like to have a Coke? And I said, sure, I, I surely would, Miss Hall. She went in, brought me a Coke out, set it on the coffee table. And uh, I said, uh, I don't see one for you. She said, oh, I don't drink them. I said, you don't drink Cokes? Nope. I said, why is that? She said, Many years ago, when I was seeking for the Holy Ghost, I told God, if you'll give me the Holy Ghost, I won't drink another Coke. She said, now you can drink all you want to. I'll go get you another one. There's a refrigerator full of them. Charlie drinks them all the time. But she said, I just made agreement with God, and I made a, a, a vow to God, and that's me. That's not you. That's me. What a great way to feel. What a great way to feel. If I'm watching a television program and they come out with a, a, a bad remark about God and use the word, the bad word, I get the flipper. And I say, I, we're not going to listen to that. Have to watch something else. They done, they done committed the unpardonable sin with Brother Jerry, because my God is not disgraced in any way like that under the house and the roof where I live. And that's my personal conviction. That doesn't mean you've got to be like me. Amen. That may not bother you like it bothers me. Amen. But at the same time, we've got to be considerate of one another in our estimation of these kind of things. He said, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but God has called us unto holiness. Holiness. And the Bible tells us without holiness, no man shall see God. So there has to be some form of personal purity in your life. Amen. There's got to be some boundaries in your life that you don't step across. It's guiding principles. It has to do with the truth. It has to do with uh, all of the character traits that are involved in being who we are. And isn't it wonderful that the Spirit manifests Himself in all of those things? That the Spirit is the one that produces Christian character 
in every one of us. You see, my flesh cannot produce Christian character. It is not within the ability of human flesh to produce Christian character. It's a production of the Spirit. Amen. It is a production of the indwelling power of God in our lives that produces Christian character. The Bible said, For the flesh profiteth little. The flesh profiteth uh, nothing, the Bible says. For it is not possible for the flesh to produce Christian character. What is Christian character? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, goodness, patience, and faith. Those nine graces are in our life as a production of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, God didn't just give you the Holy Spirit to make you shout. In fact, that's way down the list, probably. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe in shouting, and I hope you're doing it by the Spirit's direction and energy. If you're not, then you need to pray about it. Amen. So the Spirit can produce in our lives, but He produces what the flesh cannot produce. The Bible said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. In fact, the Bible said in Romans 8, For they that are of the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not of the flesh, brethren, if so be that the Spirit of God be in you. And if the Spirit of God be in you, you are dead. Dead to what? Dead to sin. Dead to strife, enmity, malice. Dead to all of those works of the flesh. Dead to, to meanness and evil speaking. Dead to all of that. Brother Jerry, you told me I was dead one time in trespasses and in sin, but God quickened me. That's true. You've got to be resurrected to walk in newness of life. You've got to be brought out of that sinful situation of depravity and have new life in Christ. But as you have life in Christ, you die to the things of the flesh and the things of the world. You become transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit that takes residence in you and dwells in you is of the Holy Spirit. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but he despises God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The Lord has given to us His Holy Spirit. In fact, the reference there is Joel 2, where the Bible tells us that it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Hey, when asked what meaneth this on the day of Pentecost, 
Peter said to them, This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Now, there are many terms that we use about that. And while Paul is trying his best to communicate with this local church the need to move on and to grow in personal purity and to grow in grace and to grow in, in personal victory, I ask a lot of people just sometimes jokingly say it. I say, have you got the victory? And I get all kind of responses. I get some of them who say, over some things. <laughs> have you got the victory? Well, I guess most things. God wants you to be a victorious Christian. God wants you to live a triumphant life. The Bible said unto God who always causes us to triumph. Triumph. How, how is it that you triumph? Because you depend upon the Spirit for your victory. When you fight on your knees, you depend upon the Spirit for your victory because the Spirit of God makes intercession for us. In the presence of God Himself, Ezekiel 3, 30 and 14, it is the presence of God Himself through the Holy Spirit and that by putting my Spirit within you, you will live. Well, the Bible said the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit makes alive. Praise God, don't you love the new life in the Spirit that God gives? That it's a lively hope, that it's a lively resurrection, it's a lively worship that we give, it's a lively way that we walk, it's a lively way that we intersperse with one another and have, have feeling and have wonderful relationship. It's of the Spirit. It's not by our own undoings. It's by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is responsible for unity and love and grace in the church. Wow, that's good stuff, isn't it? Paul informs this church that any rejection of holiness on the part of those who are called to be saints is a rejection of God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So when we're less than what we ought to be for God, we're actually rejecting what God wants to do in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? God's will is that you have, may have life and that you may have it in abundance. God wants you to live the life of faith and walk the walk of faith and live in the Spirit so that you can be victorious and that you can have answers to prayer and can enjoy everyone in the community of God. At Pentecost, the Bible said they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and 4, the Bible said, And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, it filled the whole house wherein they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. They were all filled. Boy, I love saying that. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. 
Praise God. Just a few days before, John had said to his disciples, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But one comes after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Praise God. When Jesus stood on the outskirts of the city about to ascend in Acts 1 and 8, he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Are you hearing that activity? Is come upon you. Fell. They were filled when the Holy Spirit uh, came down. In fact, at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 44, when Peter finally made it down there to answer the Inquisition, the Bible said that Peter said unto them, Men and brethren, our forefathers fought the presence of God and they fought the leadership of God. They made golden calves. They melted their jewelry and made pagan gods. But said, In this time that we're living then, now God hath sent His Spirit. And the Bible said, And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. Fell upon all of those who heard the word. Wow, can you put that up there for me, Acts 10, 44? While Peter yet preached unto them, while Peter yet informed them of the blessing of God. Do you think Holy Ghost baptism accompanies preaching? Do you believe that people can receive the Holy Ghost while a God-anointed man is preaching the gospel? While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Are there any hearers of the word? Are there any faithful hearers of the word of God? Then I want you to know that every time we preach the word of God, there's potential for people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Next verse, you're going to love this one. How do you know the Holy Spirit fell upon these people while he preached? And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. So then, Pastor, you're saying the presence of God is a gift? You're saying that the glory of God is a gift? You're, you're saying that the endowment of power for service is a gift that God gives? Oh, yes. The Bible said it's a gift. It's a promise. It's a promise and a, it's, a, it's a God who is giving to people what they need to be the greatest person they can be for Him. He gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can get smarter. He gives you the Holy Spirit so you can know spiritual things. He gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can know the things of God. Because the Bible said, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. You mean the Holy Ghost has a teaching ministry in the church? 
not just in the church, but in your individual life, the Holy Ghost would love to teach and share with you things about God. The Holy Ghost would love to help you deal with the things that you really feel convicted about. The Holy Ghost would love to make you better versed and have better answers and have better responses, have a, a, a more healthy, fervent prayer life, that you would remember scriptures and quote scriptures and fight the good fight of faith and keep what is committed to your care. Who does that? The Holy Ghost does that. And we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That we may know the things. That's how God makes you spiritually smarter. It's when you listen to the Spirit and hear what the Spirit has to say. It was also at Ephesus when the Bible said Acts 19 and 2. Put that up there for me, please. Acts 19 and 2. And the Bible said that while Paul was passing along the upper coast... He found certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now who are these people? Who are these folks that Paul has come upon? They're saved people. In fact, he even called them disciples. Did you know that Jesus did not tell people to go into the world and make converts. He said go into the world and make disciples. Let the Spirit decide about the converts. You make disciples. Boy, that's great stuff right there. A lot of preaching to be done right there. Who the people these people are disciples of the Lord Jesus have you received the Holy Ghost and they said unto him we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost what that literally translated in the Greek means we haven't heard that has been poured out yet we haven't got that news next verse please and he said unto them then under what then were you baptized and they said, we were baptized unto John's baptism. We've been baptized with water. John took us out in Jordan, and because our sins were forgiven, because we had repented, he baptized us as saved people. But we haven't heard about this Holy Spirit yet. We haven't heard about this Holy Ghost yet. Under what were you baptized? We were baptized under John's baptism, and he forced people to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. You mean he didn't just save anybody or baptize anybody? No, not just anybody. You had to bring forth some fruit, meat for repentance. So, here these people have repented. They've been saved. They've been baptized in water, but they don't yet have the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Under what we... John's baptism. Next verse. 
Then said Paul, John baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Next verse. When they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Next verse. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them. Well, we were just preaching to them a few minutes ago and they got the Holy Ghost. Now we've started laying hands on them and they get the Holy Ghost. Is this the Bible I'm putting up here? Are you sure this is the Bible? Don't let me quote something and put something up that it's not the Bible. If this is the Bible, then brother, we need to get busy, don't you think? And when Paul had laid his hands upon him, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Prophesied means preach. 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 And started, instead of yelling at the preacher, preach, preach, prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Next verse. And all the men were about 12. Next verse. And he went into the synagogue, Jewish church. Went into a Jewish church and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. That's how churches got established in Ephesus and Colossians and Galatians. That's how churches sprang up. They would go somewhere and preach and the Holy Ghost would fall on people. In fact, the Holy Ghost is so in charge, Brother John, of the first century church The Bible said it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to appoint Barnabas and Paul over this missionary endeavor. We wanted to start world missions. We wanted to reach out and touch people for God and prayed about it and the Holy Ghost told us that Barnabas and Paul would be his choice. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't it be good if what Don said, we would say, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost to start services back on Wednesday night. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost to stream. It it seemed good to the Holy Ghost to do this, do that. Wouldn't it be something if that was our kind of language? Wouldn't it be something a lot more accurate, a lot more accurate to depend upon the Spirit of God to direct? In fact, the Bible said that when Paul and Silas at this time got a, a place and was going over into Bithynia. They said the Holy Ghost stopped them. Said the Holy Ghost said to them, Paul said it like this, we were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go into Bithynia. Not only does the Holy Ghost tell you what to do, it tells you what to not do. And he said to these two missionaries, no, we're not going that way, we're going this way. And sent them in another direction. Isn't that something? Wouldn't it be something if if our church, all churches, were so directed by the Spirit of God that we sought His counsel and that we sought His advice about everything we did before we did it. 
Oh, what need peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We ought to have that common in our vernacular. Have you prayed about it yet? Have you prayed about it? When somebody starts unburdening their soul to you and telling you what's wrong, say, have you prayed about it yet? Well, it looks like I might lose my job this pandemic. Have you prayed about it yet? Well, it looks like I'm going to have to go in the hospital and might have to get, draw disability. Have you prayed about that yet? You see, for every burden that is for us to bear, there is an anointing of God. For everything you go through, there is an anointing of God to go through it. For every trial, every temptation, every hardship, there is an anointing of the Holy Ghost for you to go through it. His presence, these scriptures tell us the language of dwelling in us and receiving and falling upon us and being filled. And these texts inform us that with temple imagery, Paul designates the Spirit as he renewed the presence of God among his people. And in that sense, Paul is referring to the temple as the local church. Two ways that he addresses this with temple imagery. Let me tell you these three and then we'll go. The first one is the corporate. God puts his Holy Ghost in the church. I want to be known as a pastor who welcomes the Holy Ghost to church. I want to be one that the Holy Ghost dwells in the church. I want to be one that the Holy Ghost has free course in the church. I want to be a pastor of a church where the Holy Ghost is respected, where the Holy Ghost is revered. I want to pastor a church where the Holy Ghost is not just something we refer to lightly or take lightly or take chappily, but that that becomes a priority, that we walk in the Spirit. For if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of our flesh Best way to defeat our flesh is let the Spirit do it. Best way to purge ourselves from these, the Bible said. If you purge yourself from these, you shall be a, a vessel unto honor, chosen by God. If you can purge yourself from these. That purging happens when the Holy Spirit, number one, convicts us. The Bible said one of His duties was to convict the world of sin. convict the world of sin not only does he convict the world of sin he convicts us of our sin anybody in this house know what conviction is have you ever been convicted about something have you ever had the holy spirit to whisper in your ear you shouldn't be doing this have you ever had the holy spirit to kind of come alongside you and say to you you shouldn't be going there do you ever hear him say to you, you, you need to go straighten that out? Come on, somebody. You see, when the Holy Spirit is revered and respected, then great things happen and unity and blessing happens. People love one another. It's a wonderful thing when corporately, and I want to tell you something. 
it says something to the world. We're never going to reach a world that we don't have influence with. We're never going to reach a lost world until we have a testimony and a witness. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 14. Have you got it up there? 14, verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. In other words, if we have somebody coming here to church that don't go to church, wouldn't know a sermon if it walked up and shook hands with them, don't have any songs to sing, don't have any kind of influence for Christ, never fasted a day in their life, If all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one that is unlearned. In other words, he's never known about those things of the Spirit of God. He is convinced of all that he is judged of all. Next verse. And thus are the secrets of his heart. You mean a man can come in here and the Holy Ghost will reveal the secrets of his heart? You mean that every one of us lay bare before the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord? Do you mean that every one of us in this house take the mask off, take the costume off, and are who we are in the presence of God? Unlearned. And so falling down on his face. What would you do if sitting close to you, somebody fell out and fell on their face in an aisle near you and said, Oh God, have mercy upon me. Oh God, forgive me of my sin. God, make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. Help me to throw off the things of the world. What are you talking about? He fell down on his face. That lost person that came in and the Holy Ghost pulled the costume off and he realized, I'm lost and I'm undone without God. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. And here will be his report, and he will report that God is in you of a truth. Oh, I would that someone would leave this church to say, boy, God was in that church. I would that God would just do something so marvelous for someone today that when you'd leave here, you'd say, God was in that church. God dwelt in that church. The Holy Ghost moved this morning. The Spirit of God had His way this morning. The grace of God had His way this morning. Lives were changed this morning because God showed up. How are people in this city going to know that God dwells in this temple, this corporate temple. It happens when people make worship a priority. In that day when you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all of your soul. When you fervently intentionally said, they that seek me in diligently, they will find me and report that God is in the midst of you.
They'll go out and tell their neighbors. They'll tell their children. God is over there in that. I felt God over there in that church. God did something for me. I fell on my face and called on God. I've even had people call me when I'd get home from church, Heath, and they would tell me, Pastor, when I walked in the door this morning, I felt the presence of God. How many of you have heard people say that? When I walked in the door, I felt the presence of God. When I walked in the door, I felt the presence of God. Oh, a church cannot survive without that. You can go through your forms and go through your rituals and go through your ceremony and go through your institutionalism, but you'll never know the full impact until you allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does. His secrets of His heart are made manifest. And then in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's still again talking about the corporate church. That this church right here and every other church in Anniston, Alabama can be a temple of God. Every one of them can be a temple of God. Every church in this city can be a habitation of God through the Spirit. Everyone that names the name of Christ and lifts up the cross and preaches the salvation message can be a temple of the living God. And it's so important, God said, if any man defile the temple, him God shall destroy. Then individually it's important that we get that message. Not only does he dwell in churches, he dwells in hearts. Because he changes the nuos of that whole imagery right there when he changes from the corporate church, the gathered church. And there's a difference. When the church is gathered, a church must gather. There are things you'll never accomplish any other way. There are things God expects of us that can't happen unless we're the church gathered. But the church gathered is made up of individual temples. Wow. I want you to grasp that. Jeanette, you're a temple. Amy, you're a temple. All of you are temples. Temple. You mean I'm a temple? I'm a dwelling place for God? 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. Let's get that up there. If we're going to shout today, we'll shout at this. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Now here, the naos has changed, and it's not corporate anymore. It's individual now. It's talking about me, myself. What agreement does Jerry Irwin have with pagan gods, with idols? For you, 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 Natalie, you, Greg, you are the temple of the living God 
as God had said, I will dwell in them. I'm going to live in Michelle. I'm going to live in Faye Clay. I'm going to dwell in Jay Garner. I'm going to live in them. I'm going to dwell in them. Is God at home? Is God at home? Is the Holy Spirit at home? If you're the temple, you're the address, does He live there? Does He live there? And if He lives there, what does He do while He's there? Wow, that's great stuff. I will dwell in them, and listen, I'll walk in them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people, people of the presence, Woo. people of the Spirit, children of God, the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, when God has taken up residence in the lives of his people individually by that same self-giving glory of the Lord. And Paul gives his final argument with them concerning holy living. And he appeals to the presence of the Spirit in their lives. And he says this to them, Christ also purchased their bodies. Purchased their bodies as evidenced by the Holy Spirit whose temple they are because in the new covenant, God now dwells. Oh. Well, when Paul was preaching over at Mars Hill in Athens, he made this statement. For God dwelleth not in temples that are made by human hands. That's true. That was true then. It's true now. God does not dwell in temples made with human hands. God dwells now in temples made by His own hands. For you are the creation of God. You are the temple of the living God. And God lives and dwells in you. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 3 and 13, and I'll close. Come on, Olivia, wherever you are. 2 Corinthians 3, 13. I'm glad I'm a part of a church that's purchased, aren't you? This place doesn't belong to anybody you see sitting here. It don't believe it belong to anybody you see standing here. What are you saying, Pastor? Acts 20 and 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Pastor, are you saying God's churchy? He's about as churchy as Noah was Arky. 
I'd say God's pretty churchy. 2 Corinthians 3.13, and not as Moses, which put a veil. Can you put that up there for me? 2 Corinthians 3.13, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. What is abolished now, Paul? What kind of a gospel are you preaching? What's abolished? The old Levitical system, the old tabernacle worship, the offering of animals, certain feast days, rituals, all of that stuff. He said that has been abolished now. We've moved past that. Praise God. Not as Moses, which put a veil. He, Moses would go in and he would be unveiled. But when he got inside, he would be veiled. And when he came out, boy, one certain time when he came out, he was still veiled because the people could not bear to look upon him because he shined so brightly from being in the presence of God. Lord, I wish you'd leave here shining today. I wish we could shine up and polish up this whole crowd today so that you'd leave here and have to cover your face up because you're shining so bright. People couldn't see how to drive down the road because you was so brightly shining they couldn't see. Woo! Well, I'm going to tell you the devil hadn't got a pair of sunglasses that'll get you by that bright light. When God's got somebody that shines, when God's got somebody that the brilliance outshines the sun, Moses had to veil his face to the end of that which was abolished. Next verse. But their minds were blinded. They were part of an old system and part of a, a Levitical system and tabernacle worship and, and temple worship. And their minds were blinded for until this very day, Paul says, there remaineth that same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. Which veil is done away with in Christ. Something big fixing to happen right here. Next verse. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is still upon their heart. Boy, it's terrible to have a veil on your heart so you can't see. It's terrible to have a veil on your heart so that no one can see you. It's terrible to be behind a veil. But do you remember what happened at Calvary's cross when Jesus said, It is finished. The Bible said there was a great earthquake. There was darkness over all the earth. And the Bible said that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. When Moses is read, the veil is still upon their hearts. Next verse. Nevertheless, I'm glad there's a nevertheless. When it shall turn to the Lord, when those people that have blinded hearts and blinded minds shall turn to the Lord, then the veil shall be taken away.
that veil that whoa, of ignorance, that, that veil that is upon their heart that disallowed them to see the glory of the Lord and it disallowed them to see the Holy Spirit and the presence and the smoke and the cloud. But the Bible said when they turned to Jesus, the veil was taken away. Well, this Pentecostal preacher is about to shout. Next verse. Glory to God. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Brother, when you get that veil off of someone's heart, they're free. Brother, when you get that that whatever it was that was keeping them from seeing the glory of the Lord, when that's done away and taken away, they become happy, they become peaceful, they become workers in the kingdom, they become people that you can count on to do the work of ministry. But as long as they wear that veil, they'll never do anything for God. Woo. Next verse, almost at the end. But we all, We've talked about lost people getting saved and the veil off. Now he says, but we all, with an open face, not a veiled face, but with an open face, can behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And we're changed. Do you believe the glory of the Lord can change you? It contains a sinner and make him a saint. Oh, hallelujah. I need to preach, but I just know you got to go. Hallelujah that God can change you. Oh, Brother Jerry has been that way 50 years, but God can change him. Oh, they've not never been worth anything to anybody, been a nuisance all their life, but God can change them. And he can't change them because Jerry Irwin preaches. He can't change them because Ashley sings. He can't change them because we teach Sunday school. He can be changed when the veil is taken off and he sees the glory of the Lord. Oh, this morning if we could just unveil the face and could see the glory of the Lord. And we're changed in the same image from glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Can you say that with me? The Spirit of the Lord. Whew, I felt something when we did that. Let's say that one more time. The Spirit of the Lord. Can you say this one? The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. One more time. The glory of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Say it with me. The presence of the Lord. One more time. The presence of the Lord. Can you imagine that 
when we go inside that holy place in every temple there is a holy place in every temple every every one of us I told you you're all temple in your temple somewhere there's a holy place the Bible calls it a secret place it's a place where you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty it's a place that is not known by the adversary it's just you and God there's a secret place that you go to and when you go into that place you may have a veil on your face but when you get inside that secret place that holy place you take that veil off because you want to see him and he wants to see you there's a fellowship there there's a union right there that changes things and changes people oh i would to god today that that holy place in your heart and in your mind would be made sacred because you can take the veil off and God will let you see Him as you are. That holy place. The spirit of the presence has now been removed and most likely that refers to the oil keeping people away from God's presence. The veil keeping people away. The result is that by the spirit coming to us we can behold the glory of the Lord Himself in the face of God's Son, our Lord Jesus. By the Spirit's presence, the veil has been removed. Thank you, Lord, for removing the veil. Thank you, Lord, for letting me see your glory. Thank you, God, for letting me be in the holy place and realizing that I can be changed and transformed and translated because of the Spirit's ministry in my temple. Stand with me, please. Is He at home today? Is the Holy Spirit at home today? I went through the line. I was teaching, preaching in a, I believe it was a youth camp somewhere. I believe it was in Maryland. Many, many years ago. And there was a precious, precious little african-american lady there buddy she had the holy ghost i'm telling you and i would go through every day with my tray her name was nail and I, i'd look over and i'd say nail have you got the holy ghost she'd say brother jerry he abides he abides she'd step back from that little serving bar there and she'd dance a little step you know i feel him now she'd say and one of the preachers said to me, don't take much to get her going, does it? Oh, there are people that it don't take much. You start talking about Jesus. Next thing you know, you'll see a hand go up and they found their holy place. Won't be long before a testimony will be given about somebody who made it through a tough time because God was with them. Suddenly you'll see somebody on their hands clapping the hands to the glory of the Lord because they just found their holy place. Oh, my holy place is not a permanent place somewhere. It goes with me. I said it goes with me. My temple is not 
permanent. My temple, it moves. It, it goes everywhere I go. It goes to work with me. It goes uh, shopping with me. It goes everywhere I go. My temple goes with me. That means my holy place goes with me everywhere I go. Brian was driving down the interstate. He has to be at Highlands there in Birmingham at something like 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And he was right behind a, a, a car that had a terrible wreck right in front of him. At one of the places down there, Don, it's down below Shula Vista. You know where that big curve is there before you go down to, from Leeds? And someone lost control of their car and hit the embankment there. Brian said, there's no way anybody could live through that. He said, Daddy, there's not anybody here right now but one trooper. He said, I'm going to get out. And I said, well, when you get over there, you pray for somebody. You pray for somebody. You pray for somebody. There will be somebody there that needs a prayer. You see, it's time for the church to take what we've got and get outside these walls and get outside these doors. Get outside these doors. I want God to do more than He's ever done before. I want God to be more real than He's ever been before. I want God to do more miracles than He's ever done before. I want God to do more healings and, and more wonderful things, Greg, than He's ever done before. Karen, I want God to show Himself powerful and show Himself mighty. Do you want that? For about 30 seconds then, could we give God the best worship that we've got? Best worship you got. God, we love you and praise you today. We give you glory and honor and praise and worship. We exalt your name on high. Oh, oh, praise the Lord and bless his name. Give thanks unto him. For the Lord is good and the Lord is merciful and the Lord is kind. We love you, God, and we praise you and give you glory. To all the glory, God, we give you all the praise. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Thank you for letting us be in your presence today, God. May we leave this place better, healed, blessed, encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is my prayer.